welcome everybody to the first Total Media Podcast. We are going to be going over all of the major news stories going on in Jackson and Vinton County for the, the what is today? Today is Friday, June 5th. Uh, we are joined by news editor Pete Wilson, um, associate editor Phil Bluffington, and Total Media President Amanda Crabtree. How are you guys doing today? Well, thank you. Great, thanks. Very good. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Stockroom 601. Uh, have you guys been by Stockroom yet to try any of their new menu items? I have not, but I've heard that the new burgers are pretty fantastic. Uh, they, they really are. They have uh, several new menu items right now that are all made from scratch. Uh, mushrooms, which is the old Stockmeister family recipe. I had those yesterday and they were very delicious. The French fries are handmade, uh, you know, never frozen potatoes, nothing like that. Very good. And the, uh, the smash burgers are also very good. So I definitely recommend you guys go out and check out all of those uh, kind of new made fresh menu items that they have. Well, if the pictures don't lie, I can't wait. I saw a picture of that smash burger. I'm a burger aficionado, and uh, that one looks like one I have to meet up with sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. It's awfully good. All right, guys. So uh, let's just get into uh, what are the big news stories that are going on this week. Pete, Pete, you want to start us out? All right. Well, we have, of course, a paper coming out uh, tomorrow on Saturday, and I will have to say, even though we're in that zone after the school was shut down and you're getting into vacation season such as it is this year. It seemed like it was very busy on the news side. Of course, we're a full local content paper, so you know we're hustling for the local stories. Uh, but uh, a, a couple of the stories out of the city of Jackson were big. Those were the ones I worked on and I'm in the best situation to talk about. We had a package on the front page uh, in the city of Jackson, Jackson City Council, uh, with the uh, proposal of Mayor Randy Evans passed a resolution at the last council meeting to start a major reorganization of the city employees. And how that's starting out is that the city supervisors, there's about eight of them, they are in their own union, but the way that the pro proposal will work is that those positions will be eliminated, they will be renamed, there will be new positions that will mirror those positions, but the big thing is they will be non-union positions. You know, in a lot of places, uh, managers and supervisors are not union, but in the city of Jackson, our supervisors have been here since 2003 when that union was formed. And so the story might not be over yet because you know there may be some opposition, but uh, Mayor Evans says that is the first step of a major reorganization that he thinks will make the, the city uh, run more efficiently uh, and better. So. Uh, how that plays out, we'll have to see. But that's one of the big stories in, in the city of Jackson. But a companion story to that is that Mayor Evans, in an interview that I had with him on Wednesday, said that Jackson needs an income tax. That is a big story because it's been controversial whether there should be an income tax. Of course, most cities, even some villages, have an income tax uh, in Ohio. Uh, and uh, the voters have voted down an income tax before and the current administration and council have been against it in the past, but there are looming deficits in the general fund uh, that fund the police department, some of the street work, and Mayor Evans said in an interview, he wanted it out, wasn't off the record, or this is coming, Pete, he said that he would like to see an income tax put on the ballot. It won't be imposed, he'll have to convince the voters to pass it, but he hopes that some of the things that have been done recently to try to do things cheaper and better will convince the public that they are worthy of this request. So do you think this is something that's like long been coming or do you think this is something that's finally been pushed over the edge by the budget cuts due to uh, COVID? Right, well, the COVID-19 is uh, looming there. Uh, governments uh, across the nation, in the state, local, municipal, schools, they're all gonna be affected by COVID-19. Uh, it's affected the revenue stream or it will if it hasn't already. And so a lot of people, uh, governments, are going to have to find a way to tighten their belt. And the city of Jackson was already looking at uh, deficits for 2021 if there was not a course correction. Of course, there's two ways you can fix a budget situation. You can get more revenue or you can do cuts. And, of course, Jackson's already lost seven police officers here in the last couple years due to budget cuts. And uh, Mayor Evans said, frankly, he doesn't want to go any deeper into that. All right. And 
you know, I, I'm sure everyone is aware that the you know the big controversy that everybody's talking about on social media and stuff right now, as far as Jackson bu- budget cuts, is the controversy with the Christmas decorations. Right, that is uh, very much uh, hanging fire right now. Uh, there is a citizens <coughs> committee uh, that is uh, looking at what uh, the community might be able to do to take a little bit of the burden off the city. Uh, there's also an ad hoc committee, a council that's supposed to work with them. Uh, For those of you who who may not be queued in at the last council meeting, council did reject a resolution. They voted it down that would have ended the city's participation because they were facing so much uh, opposition, uh, so much concern that the Christmas decorations wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't be continued. The city is in a position where they do about everything. They actually own the Christmas decorations, although they are purchased by individual donors, often in memory of a loved one or whatever. But the city owns them, and the city has an electric crew, and they have a bucket truck, and not a lot of people have one of those in their garage. Right. So that's one of the issues. You know, should the city continue to do this project if the public wants them to? Uh, it's a lot of work for the electric department. However, it has been established that it is not an overtime situation. Uh, the electric department can do it on their regular time, but it is a lot of work. And so uh, right now it's a situation where the, uh, the community committee is working with council behind the scenes, and then uh, there's another council meeting on Monday night. So, you know, we may see some developments there. But a, a new Facebook site has started up uh, by some of the community people who are concerned about the Christmas decorations, therefore keeping them any way that they can be kept, whether it's community, city, or a combination. And the last time I looked, there were 269 people on that group, and it just started, I think, in the middle of the week. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what are you guys' opinions on? the Christmas decorations, do you think that's something that, you know, maybe it's better to save that money now, or do you think it is something that's, you know, an important thing to the community, bringing people together around the holidays, and maybe it's worth that extra expense for people? (laughs) You know, personally, I like the the Christmas decorations. Um, I think that, you know, it's a nice tribute to those people who've purchased them in, in memory of or in remembrance of somebody that they've lost or somebody that they hold dear to them. However, um, you know, the city definitely is in financial crisis. um, And I know that they're trying to save every dollar possible. And even though it's not an overtime situation, there could potentially be overtime because if it pushes them into a situation where we have a, a snowstorm and power lines are down and those kinds of things, it could potentially put them into an overtime situation has not been an overtime situation there's a good chance it would not be an overtime situation but um there's always that possibility so you know i think that um i think that it's going to take a lot of cooperation and a lot of people listening to each other in order for this to be resolved Um, and i think that i think there's an answer i think that you i think the city can continue to do it in uh with the help of some private businesses and private citizens yeah, that that seems like there's probably a compromise in there somewhere between, you know, the donated money coming from private citizens and things like that to make, you know, make this work out. Sure, sure. And, you know, the um, the cost in the electricity itself is very nominal. You know, I think they have calculated it to be eight cents per uh, per utility bill per, um, you know, resident. But really, I think that I, I would almost bet that if you polled utility customers and said, tack on, would you be willing to, to even would you be willing to spend an extra $10 a a month or an extra dollar a month to, um, you know, offset the cost of, of putting up the lights and, and the cost of the utilities? I think most residents would say, yes, they would do that. Yeah. I think that's probably true. Right. Well, there hasn't been a lot of opposition, uh, from the public that we know of, you know, if you're going by social media and, and things that you hear on the street. Uh, but the big issue on whether it will continue as far as the city is concerned is, is you know, the expense uh, as long as it's not overtime and the workload, because it is, it is a lot of work, that is for sure. So uh, once again, stay tuned. A lot of things, you know, they become political. And uh, one of what I mean by that is if there's a lot of public pressure to do one thing or the other, Oftentimes, uh, people who are elected listen, and of course they should. So we'll see how that works out. But uh, this has been uh, one of the 
this has been a very large outpouring from the community uh, to somehow preserve the Christmas decorations, however that might be. All right. Okay, Phil, what else is going on this week? Uh, one of the bigger stories we had is uh, something that's been going on since summer of 2017, and that is the Buckeye Express pipeline project. Uh, basically, it involves the replacement of approximately 64 miles worth of natural, gra natural gas transmission line. Uh, this is through the company that was once the Columbia Pipeline Group and is now, they've actually trans, they've uh, changed their name again from TransCanada to TC Energy. Um, the process started, like I said, in summer of 2017 when the uh, company started their community outreach, um, contacting, uh, having some open houses, going to commissioners meetings to allow people to better understand what the project would entail. Uh, specifically, back then, I think they estimated 267 uh, landowners would be affected directly by this uh, through the company having to gain uh, easements. Uh, some of the properties were fairly uh, in, in fairly close proximity to where the pipeline would be. And um, they're just now getting to the point where they're moving dirt and putting some line in the ground. Uh, you'll see some areas around the county, uh, in particular behind Dakota's Roadhouse, in that area off McCarty Lane and Veterans Drive, there are mass amounts of pipe being staged. Um, there's an area off of Fairgreens Road. Uh, you'll see some pipeline construction signs and see where they're at least making their way back to where they need to be to put the pipe in the ground. Um, so that's come back to the forefront. Um, this could be a, a really big boon for the area um, economic development wise. Uh, Aside from the fact that um, people like Taylor Stepp, um, who I spoke to for this story that will be on the front page uh, tomorrow, um, indicated that access to such resources allow for um, greater opportunity for things like gas-powered gas powered, uh, power plants, and um, particularly areas that are like acreage close to the pipeline itself, um, even the Meridian property. Um, the former Meridian property on East Main Street could potentially house uh, a fairly big manufacturing facility or a power plant like that um, could bring a lot of jobs to the area. The, the project itself, uh, tax revenue wise, is supposed to generate an estimated two and a half million dollars to the county. Um, so that's definitely a, a huge benefit to the county, especially with, I mean, budgets as they are now. Right. So that would be one of the bigger uh, bigger stories that we'll have for tomorrow's paper. Right, and, sh and short term, you know, Phil mentioned the economic development impact, but the shorter term economic impact is there's lots of folks working on that pipeline yeah. right now. Uh, they're not necessarily staying in hotels or whatever, they don't wanna spend that much money, but they are camping out at different places. Uh, and uh, I talked to Chris Walls, uh, who is the Madison Township trustee, former Jackson police officer, now the school resource officer, one of the school resource officers in Oak Hill. He says that the restaurants, uh, the convenience stores are overrun, especially down around Oak Hill. That's where a lot of the activity is. If you look at, if you take a look at Saturday's telegram, and we want you to do that. Oh yeah. We've got a map on the front page that shows exactly where that, uh, where that will be going. And that is in six counties, and that does include Jackson and Benton counties both. So uh, it's, it's really a big deal. You might not even know what's going on if you're not out, but to those who are affected and in the big picture, it's a very important project. I can definitely confirm that a lot of these guys have been out in force in Oak Hill. Uh, where I live out close to Jackson Lake, our driveway mistakenly shows up as a road on GPSs. So we've had a lot of those uh, workers come up our driveway, which is a dead end trying to find the uh, cabins and places like that that they're renting to stay the nights out there getting lost trying to find a trying to find where they're supposed to go to that was actually one of the concerns i mean don't get me wrong everyone is super excited about this project but one of the concerns raised during the most recent commissioners meeting was the ability for our local businesses to be able to adapt mm -hmm. to the presence of these transient workers and Specifically, one of the areas of concern was that of uh, temporary housing, which would affect our permanent population and, you know, lost opportunity for them to obtain these rental, rental properties. Because though the line is estimated to be com 
complete and in transmit or um, in service by this November, the workers are estimated to have to stick around for a longer period than that. Um, but according to our Jackson County Economic Development Partnership Executive Director Sam Brady, he has full faith in the companies in the area to be able to adapt to, at least in the short term, to the increased influx. Yeah, I, I'm sure there are plenty of businesses that are excited to have the opportunity Definitely. for that influx in business right now. Right, the ripple effect is always important. It's it, there. It's little, but it's, yeah. it, it can be big. Well, it can affect you know, a lot of folks. Yeah. Well, things like restaurants. I mean, you, you know how much they're struggling. I mean, those a lot of those businesses were really you know really doing great business, and then they had to scale everything back for two and a half months. And you know they're excited to try to get back to close to you know a new normal, but closer to what they were you know being able to do both as far as their business and you know how many employees they were able to employ right and uh, the pipeline company in addition to having a big economic impact tax wise and with spending of the people who are here doing the work uh, they've made major donations also uh, they made a major donation that helped build the liberty community uh, theater building yeah. down on main street no kill the old liberty theater was revitalized with a check from that gas company at least in large part and also they wrote the check for a big food drive in Oak Hill that served both Jackson and Lawrence counties just several weeks ago so they're trying to be uh, be a good uh, a good a good partner and uh, community supporter that's Give fantastic. Them credit for that it's fantastic all right Pete what else has got coming up in the news okay well I might toss the the ball to fill on this but this is important I'll start it off though um, there's a lot of grants that are coming through from the government because of COVID-19, of course. You know, they're throwing a lot of money around because a lot of agencies, people are in duress. Uh, and they've thrown some extra money into law enforcement. And there is a grant program, I forget what the name of it, Phil may remember, but anyway, a big chunk of money is coming into Jackson County. Phil, why don't you take it from here because you did that story. Okay, yeah, this, this is actually through uh, the United States Department of Justice, and the, the, the program is called Community Oriented Policing Services, or COPS, as the acronym. And this is going to benefit a total of 15 local and two statewide law enforcement organizations, including the Jackson County Sheriff's Office, who is poised to get $250,000. Now, this money is earmarked specifically for the hiring of two full-time um, deputies. And, and speaking with Sheriff Frazier, they've yet to actually receive the funding, but it's it's a lock that they are going to get the funding. Um, he spoke about the overall benefit for the county, his agency's ability to be a little bit more proactive in patrolling, you know, the 400 and some square miles of area that they have to cover on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, even with, with these two additional deputies, that brings their total to, I think, 11 deputies. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, that's a lot of ground to have to cover every day with a limited staff, especially in the past few months with, you know, ever increasing worry about spreading the virus and, and, uh, a lot of out of county jails during that time refused to take any prisoners. So, uh, we know we have limited capacity in our county, uh, correctional facility. So any, any and all money, um, to benefit law enforcement is, is always a good thing. I think in total this funding is about 18 million and like i said we're, we're going to get 250,000 of that and um yeah uh, it's definitely definitely a positive right and phil was talking about the number of deputies and of course a lot of the rural counties you know they got the they got the uh, square mileage but they don't necessarily have a lot of money or a lot of people on the force and comparatively speaking the jackson county sheriff's office is understaffed uh, Pike County does not have as many people. Vinton County, certainly not as many people, but both of them have more deputies than the Jackson County Sheriff's Office. Phil, am I right on that? Oh, yeah. yeah. You're knowledgeable on that. And so uh, Sheriff Frazier, whoever is sitting in that seat, has a lot of challenges. And, of course, some deputy positions got cut in some budgetary problems uh, a number of years ago, and they've never really been able to, to, to restaff. So those two deputies off, um, will mean quite a lot to Sheriff Frazier and to law enforcement and crime fighting in, in Jackson County. Yeah, right. I mean, Vinton County, I don't remember specifically how many deputies they have, but you're talking about a county that has about half the population of Jackson. 
and I'm going to go ahead and guess uh, from some information I got from our Jackson County Municipal Court Judge uh, Mark Music recently, at least in recent months anyway, um, they had in the teens is the number of deputies. And I think at the time we were at a, about seven full-time deputies mm -hmm. and you're talking a population of about 33,000 compared to Vinton County's between 15 and 16,000. And you're talking, of course, about a 24 seven operation. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the big thing. Uh, you, you it, it's kind of an unwritten code. You really don't want one man by himself very much. Absolutely. Uh, because of what might happen. And you can do the math there. It'd be awful hard to, to cover, right. to cover everything Absolutely. with the seven deputies or nine deputies. Yeah. Uh, so Phil, you've been monitoring, uh, Governor DeWine's press conferences most most days. Yes. Uh, there's been a few big announcements this week. Several you know businesses have gotten dates that uh, for reopening, including movie theaters, and then today uh, some of the amusement parks and water parks and things like that. Yeah. Uh, can you go over some of that stuff a little bit? Yeah. Today he specifically said it would be two weeks uh, for amusement parks, water parks, um, uh, racinos, and casinos. Um, so that will be uh, June 19th when those can reopen. And it's important to note that they can reopen. Right. They don't necessarily, it doesn't mean they will. Right. Because what accompanies these announcements is a, a mass amount of criteria, right. either mandates or what they say uh, recommended best mm -hmm. practices. And in, in these um, reopening dates as well, Every sector of the economy has been assigned an advisory group that consists of people that are directly involved in the industry, coupled with healthcare healthcare professionals, to establish, you know, social distancing, mask usage, things like that. But also more sector specific guidelines mm -hmm. to what each of these, you know, businesses would need to do to prevent the spread of the virus. Um, though he didn't have a press conference yesterday. Um, in honor of George Floyd's memorial service that was actually happening at the same time in Minneapolis at 2 p.m. Um, he did release uh, one of the largest lists of reopenings. And uh, Pete, you might have to help me with this because I actually, like I said, didn't, he didn't have the press conference, but I have seen the list. And um, do you happen to remember exactly some of the businesses that were listed in that and when they're allowed to reopen? Well, Amanda, maybe you remember this because we went over this this morning on the Channel 15 morning show a little bit. Sure. Uh, I, what, trampoline parks was Trampoline one. parks. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, galleries. Um, movie theaters. Movie theaters. Zoos. Zoo. The zoo, uh, yes. I think, That's a biggie. <laughs> yeah, I think it broadly said entertainment venues. but Yeah. And that was what, June 10th? June 10th. Uh, yeah, June 10th. Yes, right. June 10th. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah uh, and some of those businesses uh, movie theaters in particular uh you know they may have the permission to open back up but if they're having to follow through with these social distancing guidelines where it may be limiting their attendance to 40 percent of what it would normally be are movie studios going to be wanting to release movies when they can only expect maybe 40 percent of the profits that they otherwise would have or do point. they just want to sit on it for a year and release it sure you know, um, and, and I know that some movie theaters and maybe even our local movie theaters may be running um, old releases. Right. They'll just be rerunning or running some of those um, movies that maybe they did not get as a, as a first run and would be able to then run it now. So I know Tri-City, they received a list from the different studios that was basically a list of older movies that they had permission to re-release and I, I don't know that they've made any decisions as far as what movies they're going to choose i the idea was floated maybe showing the same movie in all four theaters if there's you know something that's popular enough to demand that uh so you know it's definitely going to be kind of you know more complicated than it seems some of these businesses well, the, the key is going to be the details the guidelines the restrictions that they're going to have to practice whether they're going to be voluntary or you know they have to have people two seats apart in the theater or whatever uh, whatever i'm sure there's going to be some of those mm -hmm. but uh you know we're getting into almost the mass gathering that are still not allowed until at least after july the first because you can have a lot of people in a theater and certainly right. can you think of the columbus zoo on us on a nice summer day oh, right? yeah. it'd be interesting to see 
how that is going to be regulated. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it is going to be to some degree. Right. So, yeah. And then, you know, amusement parks like Cedar Point and places like that, I mean, are they going to have to clean the ride after every single yes. group of sure. people that gets off? I mean, that seems like an unrealistic it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a business thing for some of the places that would like to open. Oh my gosh, we get to open, but they've got to think about these details and yeah. staffing and all like that. Mm -hmm. And they've already taken hits, obviously, yeah. by not being open. And so it'll be interesting to see too if uh, places like Cedar Point and uh, Kings Island, which they're actually owned by the same company, to see if they follow through with lawsuits that they recently announced right. against Dr. Acton. And the, yeah, um, they they announced those lawsuits two days before they were yeah. given permission to you know, start planning the reopening. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know, uh, Kalahari, the water park in Sandusky, they, they had a pretty, not very nice message on their billboard directed toward governor DeWine. And of course, you know, two days later, they're, you know, given the information that they, you know, were waiting for anyway. And all they really needed to do was be patient and wait for the, yeah. you know, the people that are put in charge of coming up with the safe ways of doing this. But you you know, you definitely have to sympathize with the businesses that are, you know, wanting to get, you know, close, as close to back to normal as they can. Definitely. And also, I will say it for the millionth time, you can go on coronavirus.ohio.gov under the Responsible Restart Ohio tab and look for all these sector-specific guidelines mm -hmm. for, for each and every one. They might not be completely updated at the moment for the ones that we just spoke of because it does take a little time to put all that on, but for the most part, they're on there within a day or two. So is that website, uh, I know in the early days it was crashing quite a bit because there was such a demand of you know, traffic going to it and stuff. Right. Has that kind of evened out a little bit? It, I, I, I thought you mentioned one day earlier in the week or late last week that it had crashed again. Yeah, it was, it was right at about 2 o'clock. That's when it gets hit with a lot of traffic because that's when the, the ODH numbers update as far as the total number of cases confirmed and, and uh, probable. Um, other than that, I haven't had a lot of trouble at all. I mean, uh, within 15, 20 minutes, uh, when they have small numbers of announcements, um, they'll have the sector-specific guidelines up and, and uh, ready to go. So for the most part, in, in at least the recent months, it, mm -hmm. it, I haven't had much trouble. Uh, so talking about updating those numbers and things like that, do we have uh, with us like the latest updates for as far as numbers of cases for, you know, Jackson and Vinton County? Vinton County, I did, I, we just saw that today. Both the local health departments, Vinton County and Jackson County, are pretty good about putting out local reports almost daily or when mm -hmm. something changes. Vinton County currently stands at 21 cases. There may be one probable in 21. Jackson County has 16 and I believe too probable, Phil. I know you did a story for me today. I think so. Okay, so that doesn't sound like very many through all this time. Right. But once again, the big question: How many asymptomatic carriers do we have out there? Yeah, that we, that we don't know about. And even, I mean, even from the beginning with all this, that was one of the first, um, one of the first big statistics that was addressed was the fact that especially when they started to do mass testing at um, the prisons. prisons. Yeah. That's where they first figured this out. They said mm -hmm. between 70 and 80% of the people that tested positive were asymptomatic. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the, the two kind of things that are really kind of the, the big sort of unknowns to this that makes it kind of scary is one, how many people are asymptomatic, and two, that some children have had this severe reaction to it and others have not. And you know the, these seem like issues that healthcare you know professionals are kind of puzzled by why it's why that's the case, right? And I think that's why a, a lot of these a lot of people think that you know it's a little bit too cautious, but in in an attempt to be empathetic and take things from a healthcare provider's perspective, this is brand new. This is right. something that no one has had to deal with. Exactly. So with 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 a disease like this, where you're talking 70% of the people tested in a facility that were positive or asymptomatic, I mean, that's astounding. Right. And it's frightening. And the more vulnerable populations might be the most at risk, but then there are people in their 30s, there are people in their 20s that have been in an, in an ICU bed for three weeks. Mm -hmm. Some that have died. Right. So, I mean, I think the proper precaution has been taken. Yeah. Right, I really I think, uh, I know it's a big debate, and people are, of course, getting impatient because they've been cooped up, you know, they haven't been able to work, their business has been closed, all that is a big deal. 
But, you know, to me, who is supposed to figure this thing out and know the most? Well, it's your physicians mm -hmm. and your health people. Right. And, right. you know, maybe they're not going to be right. This is new territory. But I think that you have to defer to them. Right. Hindsight mm -hmm. is always you know, 2020 for these things, but right. when you're in the midst of it, you, you really have to err on the side of caution more often than not. Right. Well, you know, you look at what's going on in the country now, everything's loosening up a little bit. The weather's good. We, we had, of course, all those people out because the weather is better. Things are loosening up. And then, of course, what happened with George Floyd and, and the, the big crowds, especially in the cities, is going to be very interesting to see what happens with cases right. here in the next in the next couple of weeks. I I haven't read enough to know what the incubation rate is if you if if you're if you're exposed to the coronavirus, but you know I think we're going to find out pretty soon. And you know if there is an uptick of cases, maybe not a lot, but some. Do they close things down again? Right. I think politically that would be very hard to do right now. I agree. Yeah. And we have had some people from locally who have gone to some of the the bigger cities to participate in those rallies and those mm -hmm. um, protests. So. You know, they've been, you know, hopefully people have been wearing masks and we've seen some pictures of people wearing masks, but not everybody is. And, you know, they're bringing those things back down here. And, and here in the rural part of the state, we have not seen very many cases. And because we have a lot of we're already kind of social distanced to right. some extent. That helps. <laughs> it does. But, you know, as people start traveling and um, they are moving from state to state and from city to city and youth sports are starting back up and those kinds of things, I think we're gonna, I think time will tell, but I think it's gonna be interesting in the next month or so to see what happens. Uh, as far as sports starting back up, maybe Amanda, you may have been the one that told me this story earlier, but I guess a number of the Ohio State uh, football players that have reported for conditioning, they, prior to reporting to camp, they all tested negative, but now a week or two weeks later, they have had a few members test positive. Yeah, we were talking this morning. It was Alabama, Alabama Alabama's okay. football team. Um, and, you know, we were kind of speculating what would happen as our Buckeyes report back and, and start conditioning and practicing for the season. Um, it, as far as we have heard, the Buckeyes are going to play. They may not have um, fans in the stadium, but um, you're right. You know, Alabama has had some football players who have tested positive and, you know, it begs the question when it goes through one team and then they start playing against each other, or is it going yeah. to be transmitted from one team to the next? And then we're just going to see this, you know, flood of cases. So yeah, the, the NBA has, I don't have the exact details in front of me, but they announced either this morning or yesterday, their plans for starting their season back. And my understanding is that the games are all going to be played in the same general area so that the teams aren't flying cross, you know, back and forth cross country a lot. And, you know, the question is like, are we going to see that at other levels? Mm -hmm. You know, our you know, major colleges could maybe get away with doing that, but. Yeah, you're right. NBA is going to be playing at the wide world of sports at Disney. Um, and so they are trying to keep all of their, the teams together. Um, so they aren't traveling, uh, you know, across the country, as you said, I think it would be very difficult for college teams to do that. Um, when you're trying to get an education at the same time, unless they're going to allow those students to, you know, have all online classes as well. I think that would be very difficult, but. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, major colleges are starting to announce their plans for mm -hmm. how students will come back in the fall. And yeah. I, I think both Ohio state and Ohio university mm -hmm. have both announced that they plan to have on camp, like students on campus in August. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah. Governor DeWine actually mentioned that today too, it just, albeit briefly, but he did say he has spent the past week um, speaking to most of the state's uh, presidents of colleges and universities um, to at least get the ball rolling to find out what kind of plans they have to return in the fall. And even K through 12 schools, uh, the discussion has been to this point that there will be physical presence. Um, what that's going to involve is yet to be seen, right. but we can assume that it's going to be uh, a rigorous set of guidelines yet mm -hmm. again. Yeah. One thing that I've heard kind of suggested is maybe a possibility for, you know, elementary school and high school is instead of the students switching classrooms that the teachers would just rotate the classroom so that the students aren't mixing as much. And, you know, that's, fine for a lot of classes, but, you know, a class like a science lab or an art class or right. something like that, sure. then, you know, 
that presents a whole host of other issues. Yeah, and I would say in elementary of. school, that's much more feasible than in, in a high school when you have, you know, you may be having, you know, a student who's taking AP chemistry, but is in, you know, a lower level English class or something, you know, I don't right. know. But um, when you're not, when you don't have those like same groups of kids right. that are, are um, traveling with each other from right. class to class. There, you know, there are some classes that every student is taking. And then there sure, are other, then there are the electives that... Yeah. Yeah, Not elective classes, taking. advanced classes, classes, things like that. Sure. But, right. So, Pete, do you have any other articles for us? Well, we might touch briefly. I know we are very aware of what happened downtown on Monday mm -hmm. when we had the uh, protest. Well, well, yeah, that was, we that were was speaking it. about the protests. We, yeah, we should definitely talk right, about that. Because we, we had one here and a smaller one in Wellston. And, uh, of course, this is not something that we're used to seeing here in our small no. town. But as far as protests go, I thought that this turned out to be very positive. Uh, it was mostly young people, uh, some high school, some college, some maybe 20-somethings. Uh, but, but there were certainly some, there were adults too, and there, there were retired people. There were certainly people. some adults, so, retired, yeah, I thought, retired teachers yeah, in there. Yeah, I thought age-wise it there was, was nice relatively, di relatively mm -hmm. diverse. Yeah. But they made it clear, uh, words at least, that they planned for it to be peaceful, not confrontational. And they certainly were passionate but uh, it did turn out to be uh, completely peaceful and orderly. And they tried to stay on the sidewalk as much as possible. And you know they made their statement out there mm -hmm. in front of the courthouse. And there were some people, certainly, that disagreed. But there wasn't counter protesters. There were right. some people that shouted from cars and like that. But it didn't come close to anything ugly or none of these things that we're seeing on TV where right. there was degeneration, whether that was mm -hmm. protesters or, or people taking advantage of the situation or whatever. So I thought it worked. My hat is off to the two young ladies mm -hmm. that organized it. Uh, and uh, I think that the community uh, was generally supportive yeah. of their right to do that. I and agree. So. And I do think that the, you know, maybe one or two times that they were challenged, that they handled themselves very well. Yes. They didn't become yeah. combative themselves. They just... Um, you know, answered questions. They listened, and that is the the most important thing that we can all do at this point is listen. Right, and whatever the issue is, racism or or, or whatever, you know, that's part of how a democratic society works. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to make your voice uh, heard, and if you think there needs to be change, you need to help make change right. and communicate. And uh, you know, the word understanding there is so important. If everybody can have that and a little empathy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that'll go a long way towards healing sure. these divisions. Yeah, two of, two of the messages that I took away from talking to some of them was, one, don't be afraid to think differently than the prevailing attitude of the area where you live. And I, I know that's something that can probably be frustrating for a lot of young people living in rural areas. You know, they, this, they have ideals that they don't feel like is the same as you know their parents or other you know people in the community and you know these people were you know standing up in a very public place and saying that and that takes a lot of guts to do and then the other message is just you know you have to be able to sympathize with people that have a different life experience than you do sure it's it's really easy not to just think everybody lives in the same kind of world the same kind of bubble that you do but the reality is that everybody doesn't yeah Right. And, and especially since these these young ladies are actually, I think they're in college right now, aren't they, Pete? Um, maybe either in college or just out of college. Uh, they both graduated in 2015, so that's a hint. They they they're, they may be out or nearly out. Right. So they but both of them were in college or are. Yeah. So they've had they've they've had the opportunity to to venture outside of the county and and have a taste of cultural diversity and and better understand and appreciate the viewpoints of people that you might not see every day in a place like Jackson or Wellston. Right. And, and whether you agree or not, I think it's going to make you think about your position. Absolutely. You know, it may sure. not change it, but you're going to think a little bit when you hear, hear an, another idea that is not yours. One of the reasons I was a little uh, surprised by the turnout that they had for their protest on Monday was I had heard on uh, WOUB early in the earlier in the morning that they had similar protests at OU the previous day, and they had only had about 12 people show up, and that really surprised, wow. Wow. That really surprised me. Very surprising. <laughs> but the next day in Athens, the, all of Court Street and all of Union Street was just completely flooded with people. It was, it was a, you know, it was really a sight to be seen. If you if you haven't seen any photos from that, I definitely would recommend that you 
uh, look up WOUB or maybe the Athens Messenger or the Athens News online and look at some of the videos and photos from that event because it was a pretty astounding number mm-hmm. of people you know, showed up for that. All right, Phil, do you have another story for us? Uh, yeah, I can. Um, we uh, had actually an ambulance catch on fire a couple oh, times yes. uh, the other day. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, was, this was uh, yesterday kind of a morning. strange happening, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, I think some people kind of misunderstood at first, too. Um, when we popped that out on social media asking why they would have ever tried to drive it a second time uh they didn't and they couldn't (laughs) right they it was a portsmouth ambulance they were on their way um on state route 93 between oak hill and jackson uh the fire chief here in jackson dave channel um informed us that something went wrong they're not sure what the cause of the fire was but it it caught fire Uh, jackson and Bloomfield Fire Departments were uh, dispatched out there, put it out, um, cleared the scene about an hour later. Um, Portsmouth Ambulance has their own wrecker. Uh, they had it loaded up. They took off, uh, made it about a mile and a half before it rekindled on, on the back of the wrecker. They were called right back to the scene and it completely destroyed it. Um, nobody was injured, anything like that. Um, but luckily they were still close enough to where they could get back quickly. Yeah. And um, one of the other things, I mean, we haven't really... Uh, well, before you move on, we have a photo of the ambulance on yeah. our Facebook page. Yeah. So yes, if anybody do. wants to see what that looked like, you should and check think, out the Telegram News Facebook page. And, and it'll be, I think it's in the paper to, tomorrow too, right, Pete? Right. We, 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 uh, it's not on the front page, but we have it on a page with color so you can see what it looks see, like. See the flames. <laughs> right, exactly. And there were a lot of them. Yeah, it was, I, it was I don't, I don't think they're going to be driving that one anymore. I highly doubt it. Um, one of the other ones we haven't I haven't written about this yet, but it just happened last night, and we'll just brush over it. Um, Mayor Hudson and Wellston, they've actually undertaken um, a new program, mainly um, under the direction of Police Chief John Robinson and Code Enforcement Officer Ryan Pelletier. It's called the DAB program. Drugs are bad. Um, he admittedly said that was a funny name. It is a funny name, <laughs> but. but Sounds like something from South Park. Uh, yeah, yeah. But they, they've uh, recently been sending out some, some information in the mail to some of the residents um, about some of the things they're wanting to do. And in conjunction with that, uh, the mayor mentioned the possibility of maybe kicking off some neighborhood watch programs in Wellston. Um, I think that what he actually said was, I mean, Wellston has, I think, nine officers, and you're talking about... 30 to 35 miles of of road in the city it's hard to like we said earlier with the sheriff's office it's hard to cover that amount of ground with that amount of people but then you have a window to look out of at your house you have a cell phone with a camera most you know most likely um so he mentioned the fact that uh, they could get these programs going maybe get a committee a committee of community members together to oversee these neighborhood watch programs and Wellston's really taken a, a number of steps in the right direction uh, recently, especially with regard to their code enforcement efforts um, to clean up some of these properties that have had jungle grass growing over the past several years, um, some dilapidated properties that that are being dealt with either through, either through the land bank or through the city the, uh, itself uh, to have these structures either demolished and have the owners uh, taxes assessed to recoup any costs they can or to repurpose these lots and you know uh, especially through the land bank a lot of times if somebody owns the property that adjoins a lot that you know is vacant or becomes vacant after a demolition they reserve the right to obtain that through the land bank and and use it for green space or as a play area of course you know there are still some zoning issues if you would want to build you'd have to follow up with the with the zoning board in the city but uh, this is just another example of, of Wellston and its uh, new administration doing their best to, to clean up. That was one of the biggest concerns that was uh, addressed when, when Charlie first came back to town and he immediately became really involved with the city and wanted to, wanted to help. And now he's in a position to do so and he's, he's doing everything he can. That sounds right. great. And I think, um, you know, Connie Pelletier, when she became mayor, she was faced with a city that was in fiscal emergency. And so mm-hmm. that was her focus was trying to make sure that that was all taken care of and and did a pretty good job at that. Um, 
but some of these other things that Charlie has taken on were things that she maybe either couldn't fit on her plate or, you know, she just felt like there were other priorities. And I think uh, Mayor Hudson's done a good job um, addressing some of these issues. It's definitely a continuation of work that, that Connie started. Sure. And it's, it's, it's odd to see. I watched Wilson go into fiscal emergency. I covered it. I watched him come out. And then this COVID-19 thing comes. And they're, they're looking at a lot of deficits right now. And You know, for sure, we've had a new administration in many of our uh, cities and villages in the two-county area. And, boy, they came into 2020 <laughs> with one mission and then had it kind of turned upside down on them with the, this COVID um, if, and if, budget cuts. If they had leadership for their, to one of their cam, to one of their campaign planks, they're going to be tested. Yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. But uh, some real quick things, uh, James, uh, cause I know we've been here a, a while already, uh, but of, of interest Jaffe uh, Jackson area festival and events committee does want everybody to know. So I want to take this opportunity. The Apple festival is still on at least now. Of course, that's the third week of September. Mm -hmm. Still looming questions out there. A lot of uh, water over the dam between now and then. But right now, it's still on. They felt compelled to give me a call to put something out in the middle of the week because they were getting so many rumors that it had, that it had already been canceled or restricted. And so it's still on. The Jackson County Fair, the Senior Fair part, uh, grandstand rides, uh, vendors, Commercial vendors, no, but junior fair in some restricted form, it will take place. Uh, they're trying to work out the details on that and keeping an eye on Columbus and what they can do and not do. Vinton County Fair, no Vinton County Fair, but they're gonna try to come up with something for their kids too. But on the category of what is happening, the pool in Oak Hill is gonna open. That's right. Yes. Very soon, and uh, I'll tell you what, that, that seems pretty good right now. Right, <laughs> it's, right. It's been, been a warm day, so it's gonna open. And the Jackson Area Chamber of Commerce, uh, they've announced all their activities are off for the year. They're in a little bit of a state of flux, of course, with Randy Heath resigning after 15 or 25 years in that job. And so uh, uh, no activities, that means no 4th of July run, uh, no, no uh, 4th of July activities like a parade and no golf outing. And they're not even gonna have an appreciation banquet in October, which is a big yeah. civic event mm -hmm. here. Sure. But then they're gonna tee it up and start fresh in 2021, according mm -hmm. to new president, Norman Gillen. And good luck to one of our new businesses, the Retro Rocket. Opens. Yes. It's actually open, but they're gonna do their is, public stuff tomorrow. Is that the, the candy retro store? Rocket. No, it's, it's, a, it's a retro to modern video game store. Oh, okay. And huh. they have, uh, Vintage toys, uh, collector's items for people of all ages. It's it's a really, really cool little spot. Where's that at? It is at 4 East Broadway. It's right next door to the Rusted Barn. It's actually okay. owned by Tina and Ryan in, Stroud. In Wellston. Yeah, in Wellston. Okay. Right, so good good luck to them. Uh, there's been some new stores, uh, specialty stores, really, niche stores open up in Wellston in the last five years. And so good luck to the yeah. Retro Rocket. Yeah. It seems like they have their, a niche of their own there. Yeah, it's Nick and, Nick and Quincy Kincaid. And they'll, they'll be there tomorrow at 11 for a ribbon, ribbon cutting. And then they'll be open um, for their first day of business from 12 to 8 the rest of the day tomorrow. Right. Very cool. Fantastic. Uh, but so I know I saw an article. I think maybe Pete shared it on Facebook for a candy store that I think was in Jackson that was getting ready to open. Uh, yeah, I, I shared some information because I know we're going to be publicizing it. There's a place called Tasty Days of Old, mm -hmm. okay. which is on Broadway Street, just up a couple from the new donut shop, the, the, the treatery. Downtown treatery. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. And uh, they've had some uh, things in their window. They're doing some business online already, and they plan to open soon. But they're going to have a lot of novelty what, items. What caught my eye was they had a look like they had a lot of British candy. Yeah, that's one of the things they're advertising. I'm yeah. not even sure what that is, but it seems to have grabbed some interest. And they have, uh, yeah, they have some some British snacks, Russian, German. Mm -hmm. uh, they have yeah quite an array of things. Uh, yeah, as as someone that spent a little bit of time in the UK when I was in college, I can contest that the candy bars over there are different than the candy bars here so yeah if you've never try had them a, all so yeah. if you've never had a cadbury's uh, dairy milk you should probably get one if they have those yes. okay well it's all it's always good you know we talked about wellston uh, in the heart of the downtown to see new businesses uh, uh give it a try mm -hmm. hats off to um the Brennan's at the downtown uh, treatery here yes. in Jackson. Well, today because, was I mean, National well, Donut yes, Day. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. National right. Donut and then, Day. And then thanks to Amanda, we had right. some of their donuts today. 
what uh, what a challenge for them to open yeah. just before a pandemic right. starts. Right. Yeah. It's hard enough with a new business anyway, mm -hmm. but they're hanging in there. Yeah, and it, that place is, one, the food is very good. Mm. It gets delicious. And two, it looks very nice in there. It's a really great They've atmosphere. done a nice nice job with the ambiance for yeah. sure. Yeah, they really have. Yeah, you eat with your eyes first. Yeah, yeah, you really do. So I think that's a good positive note to kind of end things on. I want to thank Pete, Phil, and Amanda for joining us for the first uh Total Media Podcast, uh, and we want to thank Stockroom 601 for being our sponsor. Again, if you guys have not stopped by and tried their new items, uh, the mushrooms are great, the fries are great, the burgers are great, uh, the wings are great. Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff is now made from scratch. It's it's no nothing frozen. It's all it's them taking fresh ingredients, cutting them up, and preparing them preparing them right there in the store. So I think they, uh, during the time that they were closed, I think they've revamped their, yeah. their kitchen, um, expanded the kitchen and, mm -hmm. um, that's allowed them to do a lot of this new fresh food. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. They, they, yeah, they definitely took advantage of the two month hiatus to, mm -hmm. uh, do a little bit of, uh, you know, fresh coat of paint, some new decorations. And, uh, like you said, they expanded the kitchen a little bit more, which allows them to, uh, you know, do more of this stuff from scratch that they just didn't have room for before. That's great. Uh, all right. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, this podcast will be available on all major podcasting platforms. If it's not yet, uh, just wait and it will be soon. Uh, we will try to be pretty regular with this covering uh, news events in you know Jackson and Benton County, uh, you know, entertainment events in the area. Once you know more of that stuff starts, you know, starts back up. And then, of course, high school sports when that comes you know back around in the fall. And uh, anything you guys want to say? Uh, Say goodbye. Uh, everybody, come out to the Retro Rocket tomorrow morning. I'll be there, and uh, I think it's I think it's a good addition to the city. Yep. Right. All right. Thank Thanks you. for listening, and don't forget to pick up a copy of your Telegram. Oh well, maybe we should go over that really quick because the Telegram does come out uh, tomorrow, and you know the easiest way to you know, get the Telegram two days a week would be to subscribe and have it come you know, just come in with your mail. Yes. Amanda, do you want to kind of, you know, if, if anyone is interested and not, you know, maybe on the bubble of or subscribing? The, the, actually, the easiest way to get all of your news is to subscribe online, to go to the, the telegramnews.com, and you, you can, can subscribe the e there. And you can get the e-edition, which it, that is updated. Uh, the e-edition comes out on Fridays um, before our public... Uh, publication day on Saturday and on Tuesday nights before our Wednesday publication day. So you you almost get the paper a day earlier mm. than everybody else. Um, and in, in addition, we post um, stories to the website all week long. So you're constantly bombarded with your news right. and, and information. And that subscription for online is only $45 a month. Or I'm sorry, $45 a year. A year. $45 yeah. a month would be a little more, but <laughs> yeah. $45 a year um, for online, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, but if you would like to have that mailed to you, we can do that too. You can subscribe online. We're going to mail your paper to you for $52 and 20 cents uh, a year and it'll come right into your mailbox. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, you know, pretty, uh, pretty great price considering that you're also, you're getting it through the mail and you're getting it that immediate access on the, on the website all week. Sure. And if you think about it, it's that, you know, if you go to the newsstand, it's a dollar per issue, but if you subscribe for $52 and 20 cents, it's like you get a 104 issues for that $52. It's half the price. Right. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining me and thank you guys for listening. Thank you. Thank you.